What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of Internal Budget. If you like the podcast, make sure to share with your friends, follow or subscribe, as well as rate five stars. It's a little thing, but it goes a long way, and I would really appreciate it. My guest today is yet another Sends Twitter all-star. He is the master of all things prospect-related. You can find him on Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram, all at Sends Prospects. Yes, folks, that's our guest today. We're going to talk to Sends Prospects. Hope you enjoy. Okay, we got Sense Prospects on the podcast. How are you doing, man? Thanks for doing this. Hey, excited to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm doing pretty well. Good, good. I'm glad to hear that. Um, so before we get into things there, uh, we'll just touch on a little bit of breaking news, breaking Senators news. Uh, today being Monday, they've hired Anthony LeBlanc as their new president of business operations. Not quite the CEO title or president of hockey ops, but it seems like someone that's going to take over uh, for the recently dismissed Jim Little. Uh, you got any thoughts on this hire? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, it's been a few hours since the news broke. So scanning just a handful of articles, I'd say... It's uh, it's a positive sign to see that someone's been brought in who has experience dealing with another NHL team already with his uh, his resume, including uh, time with the Coyotes. Um, and other than that, yeah, I mean, I like I like the looks of Jim Little when Jim Little came on board. So uh, we'll see what happens with Mr. LeBlanc. But I'd, I'd say it's a, a positive sign. Yeah, that's the thing. You never quite know with these executives. But the fact that he's a lifelong Sens fan is something that I like. You know, that's not something you get every day with Ottawa being such a young franchise. So that could really help bring a fresh perspective and maybe someone that's a little more dialed into the sort of fan discontent that we've seen over the past few years. I think that's something that could really help this franchise. But why don't we dive right into things here? Uh, Obviously, you are somewhat of a Sens Twitter all-star. I think you're everybody's prime resource uh, for all things related to prospects and guys in the senator system. Yeah. So why don't you tell me a little bit about uh, how you got into covering the senator's prospects? Yeah, sure. So I, I'm, you know, like LeBlanc, I'm a lifelong uh, Sens fan, uh, born and raised here in the east end of town, Blackburn Hamlet, uh, Gloucester area. Um, and always just a bit of a hockey nerd growing up. And for whatever reason, I was always kind of fascinated uh, by the guys that were uh, coming up through the system uh, when I was pretty young. So this is back in the PEI Senators days and the Grand wow. Rapids Griffins. Yeah. So, uh, you know, begging my parents to, to help me kind of track down some media guides or, or team sets of, of hockey cards just to get to know these guys so that if they got recalled, you know, I'd already know who they were. Um, and that just sort of, you know, with chatting with my friends, it was always sort of the thing that I I seemed to, uh, to pride myself on knowing. And then, um, you know, think about, you know, when Twitter's sort of getting going in, in 20. 10 or so and you're sort of starting to approach guys that were my age that I might have played against when I was much younger were starting to get drafted into the NHL um, which meant that their junior careers were ending they were going pro for the first time uh, so I was paying much more attention uh, even than I already had been to like the American League um, and I found that there was just a little bit of a gap at the time right Twitter was pretty new 
I was really curious what was going on down in Binghamton. And, uh, you know, there was maybe one or two beat reporters, but, um, you know, they were, they were pretty niche focused and were more focused on, say, like the what was going on in the, the community of Binghamton, less what is happening with a specific prospect. You know, are they playing? Are they not? What are the lines like? And then what are the up and coming draft eligible guys? So it just sort of um, happened to be a, a passion project that's rolled into something much bigger than I could have ever imagined. That's awesome. Uh, and one thing I really like about you, um, you know, I can always shoot you a DM and you always, you always know exactly what I'm asking about, exactly who I'm asking about. It's, it's awesome. But what I found really impressive is you don't just cover Belleville, the American hockey league, right? Like you cover, you cover everything. You cover guys who are in the ECHL guys who are still playing in college guys who are playing in the Canadian hockey league. How do you manage all of that? Because there's just there's just so much to cover and so many guys playing in different places, even guys who are maybe not on the, we'll say, higher on the list of prospects. Like, you know, you'll know your stuff about Lassie Thompson and then you know your stuff about the guy 10 spots down on the list playing in a league in Sweden, right? So how, how do you manage all of that? How do you manage to cover everybody at once? Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I think it just comes down to a lot of organization. Uh, I have a bunch of different folders set up, a specific browser for tracking all the the different prospects. And it's, you know, even looking back on on the way things have changed from, say, like when uh, Colin White and Thomas Shabbat were sort of the top two prospects in the system that I was following to where things stand today. The, you know, media capabilities of these teams in these lower level leagues right um the amount of like access to some you know video or like additional coverage is greater than ever before so really it's a matter of i say at the start of the season um taking stock of okay where is everybody playing what are the websites for these teams what does their social media activity look like who are their beat reporters and then you know organizing that into some browser folders and then it's just in a bit of a routine um depending on the month sometimes we'll even have a calendar i'm trying to look at like are there ever games where uh prospects might be facing off against each other so it's kind of like i can double dip um because ideally i'm i'm looking i'm watching uh, a full game of any sense prospect somewhere like two to five times a season wow. so that can be yeah so that that can be kind of challenging in the in the lower leagues um but you know, in something at the NCAA, it's pretty exciting when, say, like North Dakota is facing off against uh, Minnesota Duluth and you got four prospects in one game. That's amazing. Uh, so how do you how do you go about watching everything? Obviously, Belleville has the AHL TV subscription that you can get. Uh, I don't know how many games you watch in other places, like we mentioned, the CHL and, and college. Uh, what, what are some methods that you use to kind of take in prospects games when you can? Yeah, a lot of these leagues are now offering subscription services of their own. I think a lot of it in the back end is fueled by hockey TV, um, whether or not it's actually branded as such. There there was a really good interview on uh, Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick's 31 Thoughts podcast this past week with the guy who's behind all that technology. But all to say that a lot more leagues are becoming even more accessible with their streaming services. And then, um, you know, some of them might have some some backdoor ways that that you can watch these games. It might not be, uh, you know, um, fully up to snuff, but uh, yeah, you can definitely subscribe to a lot of them. And then uh, if it's a, the lower level leagues, a lot of them really don't play between Monday and Thursday. They kind of jam their games on either Friday, Saturday, Sunday, which is helpful because, you know, it's sort of the off week for, for regular nine to five Monday to Friday folks like myself. So um, it makes it pretty easy to know, okay, like 
Friday night, if I got nothing going on, well, what are the games that are happening? And then Saturday morning, it's like, let's do a sweep of everything that happened. Sunday morning, do a sweep of everything that happened. And by Sunday evening, you know, you'd say 70% of the prospects have played their games of the week in that little window. That's so cool. So for news-related stuff, um, what, what would you say your number one resource is? Because obviously you can't watch every game, right, as much as you would probably like to. So do you, do you kind of go to Twitter for news stuff, or do you, just, um, do you just go to each guy's individual stats page? Like, how do you go about it that way? So it just depends prospect by prospect. Uh, part of it is at, at the start of the season getting to know different teams, where do they like to uh, you know, showcase highlights, so I'll use like the University of North Dakota as an example here. They have like a fan, they have a lot of resources for their hockey team, right? In the school, mm-hmm. they have a great uh, like media department. So I'm sure it's all students, but what they're doing is every game they're um, you know cutting up highlight packs. Whereas you'll have some teams, like for example in the QMJHL, the the Cape Breton Eagles, they're only posting goals for and goals against in games. Like that's it. They're not posting nice plays. They're not posting, you know, chances, which um, for guys like Drake Batherson came through there. Kevin Mandelize is just graduating, graduating from there. I think, Um, you know, it's, you're hoping that uh, on an away game, if you're not able to watch it, the other teams are are posting more clips of it. Um, But yeah, just learning, you know, back to North Dakota, they would be posting these like 15 minute recaps of every game, which gives you, without having to invest the two, three hours to watch the whole game. It's like, great, you can watch some of the great plays that are made that might not um, result in actual goals and make the traditional highlight pack. So that's a nice example. And just generally speaking, I have a lot of sort of preset links that actually just search Twitter for a player's name or his Twitter handle and then sort by recent. And then you know, that's a really great way of discovering sort of some breaking news on on different prospects. Gotcha. So you joined Twitter as Sense Prospects in February of 2010. Would you say you've been following them pretty closely since then, or is it something that's kind of built up over time? It's, I mean, I've been following the team closely my whole life. It, I really got excited by Twitter early on again, right? Like not a lot of people were, were using it. It was, it was kind of easy to build a, a bit of a following early on. And I, I kind of hammered away at it uh, for three-ish years and then really took a break in 2013 and um, at that point too you look back at like the 2012-2013 auto uh, draft classes by the Sens like Ottawa went through some dark times there where the prospect pool was pretty um, pretty bare there wasn't a lot of of you know optimism about the future prospects kind of like we have today right so I I Mm -hmm. pretty much logged off of Twitter for I'd say over two years took a break and then it was really that 2015 draft class led by Shabbat and White that kind of pulled me back in. Um, and just a few of, you know, noticing there's some some gaps that, I don't know, I just got that itch again. I, I kind of learned how to make some gifts and some work things that I was doing. So I was like, well, why don't I just apply this to Twitter? I love it when other people share gifts. So I started learning to do that. And that kind of rolled into, well, why don't I make some highlight videos? And um, here we are today with a Twitter account, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, all at Sense Prospects, and just trying to uh, make, create content wherever people happen to be. Yeah, you're on every platform doing all this stuff. Uh, so you kind of got back into things around 2015. In your mind, how have the Senators done prospect-wise since then? You, you, you said they've had some high-profile picks like Shabbat and Colin White. 
like if you had to give the Senators a grade over the last five years in terms of their drafting, in terms of their development in Belleville and uh, the ECHL and places like that, what what do you think that would be? Like where would they land on your scale? Somewhere in the like, I I'd say a a minus a minus probably is a little more fair like even if you just go draft by draft excluding any of the the trades or say free agent signing sort of things like that 2015 draft class could easily have five full-time nhlers with shabbat white chalapic Lelanen, yaros and then decord and net like that's mm-hmm. an unreal haul going from there 2016 and 17 i think they only had three or four picks each season but they kind of made them count with logan brown and lejoie in 16 um formington and batherson in 17 and both those guys you know if the if the draft was redone they'd be in the first round of of any mock draft when you're looking back on that year and then 2018 and 19 like they've stocked back up on on picks and i think each year you've got a guy like look at look at shane pinto is probably the the shining star of the 2019 draft even though lassie thompson was the first pick right yeah yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's been a really impressive run, especially since there was that period of you look back on 2012, 13, 14, you're like, oh my God, what, what were these guys doing? Who are some of these picks? Mm-hmm. There's There's been some hugely controversial picks over the last few years. Uh, Brady Kachuk comes to mind. Uh, some people were kind of surprised that the Senators took Pinto instead of Arthur Kalia of last year. At the time... Where did you kind of land on those picks? Because forgive me, I don't quite remember. I was still pretty new to Twitter, like when Brady Kachuk was drafted. When he was drafted, were you in the camp that most other people were in saying like, oh, this seems like a bad pick. This seems like a reach. Or did you think, hey, you know, maybe maybe they're on to something here? I was personally in the Philip Zadina camp. I'm, I'm not shy to admit that, but mm. I was uh, optimistic about Brady's bloodlines. Um you know, I think we're seeing more and more of a trend of these sons of former NHL players, especially of a certain vintage these days. Even look at Christian Willanen. Uh, like, I remember watching his dad play with the Avalanche at the end of his career. But that gave me a bit of hope. So on Kachuk, I was hoping for Zadina at the time, but I wasn't I wasn't like the guy in the viral video that was throwing a Sens jersey at the TV. At the <laughs> yeah, the Senators have had... They have not been afraid to buck the trend in terms of drafting. Like they've they've taken guys who I think their last few high profile picks have all been ones where we go, Really? Like like taking Lassie, they they reached up they reached a bit on him, not reached in the sense that he's not gonna live up to the hype, but he wasn't as high on other people's boards. Same thing with Pinto. Uh why do you think that is? Why do you think they've been so willing to kind of go off the board and get guys that appeal to them rather than the consensus picks? I think they've had, I don't know if it's, maybe it's part of a blessing and a curse, but Ottawa doesn't, you know, they're, it's it's well reported that they don't have the largest staff and they don't have a massive amount of staff turnover in that scouting and drafting area. And so you look, it's that smaller group that was responsible for the Formington Batherson. They picked uh, Bernard Docker in the first round, which was a bit of a surprise. It, w- it wasn't, you know, uh, mm-hmm. a, a slam dunk at the time. Um, and again, yeah, same group. I think I think that's why you're you're seeing um, they're confident in their picks, right? But they don't seem to always follow those those consensus rankings. 
Yeah. Do you think that's like a, you know, based on what you know about prospects and how they develop, do you think that's a good strategy or do you think it's more of them kind of falling bass backwards into some really good players and it's going to, it's going to hurt them eventually? I, so far so good. Even looking back, you know, almost a year later, I'm, I'm pretty happy with a lot of the picks in the 2019 draft. Definitely. Think, yeah. You know, uh, at the time, yeah, you mentioned Kelly. I've even Bobby Brink too. I was, yep. I was hoping Ottawa would grab him and then you have Pinto beats him out for the, NCHC Rookie of the Year award in the NCAA. It was he's looking fantastic, right? I'm I'm not sure about Sogard, but I do like the idea of just having as many goalies in the hopper as possible. It's like gambling, right? You're just putting chips on a bunch of different numbers and hoping one hits. And I think Ottawa's kind of maxed out there. Got five solid goalie prospects at the moment, right? So mm-hmm. you you could start nitpicking a few of those like mid round or late round picks, especially last year. The Victor Lodin pick is still just a very you know, oh, it's so strange over the yeah. past season. Like he's not even playing 10 minutes a game in the Swedish elite league before getting demoted. Right. So, mm-hmm. uh, but time will tell. And and I'm at the point where I think they've, they've gotten a good enough track record over the past three seasons where I've got confidence in, in whatever choice that will be made in this upcoming 2020 draft, whenever it happens, that it's going to be one that, that ends up working out. So I'm that that's where I am right now. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you brought up the kind of thing about mid round picks because Ottawa's really hit some home runs with mid round picks over the past decade or so. Mark stone, Drake Batherson, guys like that. Given the fact that Belleville and slash Binghamton hasn't always been, we'll say a shining star of development. Like one thinks back to the Kirk Klein endorsed days. Do you think that, it's a case of Ottawa hitting on guys who have this hidden potential, or do you think it's more about them getting these guys in their system and just developing them the right way? I think it's interesting too uh, about these mid round picks based on what gets, what stories get written about them after the fact, it seems like Ottawa tends to operate on like a group consensus for their early picks. And then as the draft goes on, they tend to let, specific scouts really fight for specific picks like it's not like every scout wanted victor lodin in the fourth round there was one swedish scout who was saying this is the guy we got to take him and they let him take that shot right there was Mm -hmm. one western league scout who was really pushing for mark stone back when he was taken and now you know the the whole Coach K thing, and you had like Randy Lee, who was running a lot of the Binghamton Belleville thing for Jesus. that five year period. Where yeah, things. I mean, the on ice results, other than that one cup run, like they didn't win. They didn't win a playoff. They haven't won a playoff series since they won the Calder Cup. Yeah, uh, in the American League, right? So there, I think there's just a lot of dysfunction, despite having. You look at that roster that that Binghamton had during the the NHL lockout. Like they were stacked. Um, and sure, they lost some of those guys for the playoff run, but even in, you know, they had some good players that were able to be developed through Ottawa's system, whether it's specifically at the AHL level or some of the the development work that happened before they turned pro, right, after the draft, before they turned pro. But, um, yeah, I I think now, especially, there seems to be more cohesion than ever with you have that relationship between uh, Troy and Trent Mann, you know, one overseeing a lot of the draft, the other one, the development in, in Belleville. Um, 
I think it's no surprise that Belleville was on pace to to have the best like AHL finish finish of a Senators team in years. Mm-hmm. Who do you think that uh, success can be attributed to? Is it Pierre Dorian? Is it Trent Mann? Is it Troy Mann? Is it a combination of the three? Like, who do you think? You know, if you had to mainly give one guy the credit there, what? Who do you think? Ooh, that's really interesting. Um, I really. I'm kind of weighing everything. I think I could I could make an argument for all of them. Uh, this mm-hmm. past season, you really got to like what what Troy Mann did down in Belleville. I love that hire at the time. Yeah, I thought it was a great hire, and he's I think he's done wonders for those kids. Yep, and there were there were just look at look back on Belleville's first season, right? Three years ago, who like they had guys like Ethan Warrick, which is just like a retread, you know, pro. No offense to him as a as a person, but as a player, that's not someone that should be getting top six minutes in your, in your AHL franchise. Right. Um, right. And coach K was like happy to just roll him out, roll him out. Right. Whereas, uh, you know, man now is, is playing Ottawa's prospects in these sort of the, the standard prospect story that you want to see, right. As you want your high talent guys playing top six role, or if you have someone like a Parker Kelly, who's more of that, like bottom six prospect, that's where he's getting his minutes and he's learning to, add an extra asset like killing penalties to his uh to his toolbox yeah i think troy Mann is a really interesting guy to talk about uh he was on the radio i think it was i think it was tsn 1200 not long ago talking about just you know giving giving his guys kind of these individual testaments one thing he said about Philip Gustafson really struck some people. And we were talking about Sogard earlier and Decord and the Senator's goaltending situation. But I think he, he didn't really have much good to say about Gustafson. I think he said, the one thing I can say about Gus is he's really young. Uh, based on what you've seen from Belleville uh, and Gustafson in particular, do you think he's, you know... Do you think he's on track there or do you think or did that kind of surprise you to hear him say that? I I think that was a very fair comment by coach Mann. I think there is some truth to what he's saying like, you know, Gustafson is going to be 22 this summer, so to be 21 and have played two full seasons in the American League as a European goalie as one of, you know, he's kind of been a I guess the backup both seasons kind of closer to almost like a tandem in terms of games played. That's very uncommon, but on the flip side, his save percentage is about 890 yeah. over those that 50-game sample, and that's just, it's not great, but he's, again, it's two years, he's 21, um, and he's adjusting to this this rink size at, at the same time, but it's hard to think of another prospect in the system who was once seen so highly like among the fan base and is now really... Um, taking a seat behind two, three, even you could say four of these other goalies, right? Do you think Decord fully overtakes him next year? Yeah, absolutely. Right now, Decord is much closer to full-time NHL duty, whether it's more likely in a backup role, at least to start, than uh, than Gustafson. He's still watching Gustafson. He's he plays so tight to the goal line, and his uh, you know which may have worked with the larger ice services over in Sweden, right? But it's that combined with some poor rebound control like it's just a mix 
of uh, any time any time that I saw Gustafson was the starter, I was looking at what the over under was on Belleville games this year because <laughs> like the over was a bit of a safer bet. I should go back and look if there was actually any truth to that uh, to that um, you know ideology. It was great. He won 15 games out of 24 starts, but he only saved 89 percent of the the shots wow. he saw, which is just it's not good enough. Yeah, absolutely. See, this is something that, you know, I would obviously love to be able to watch more Belleville, but I just can't because of time. You know, this is a perspective that I don't get, right? So this is another reason why I think you're a great follow because you you know stuff like this and stuff about his playing style, playing tight to the goal line and things like that. Do you think with Gus... it's I, I, it's so hard, and you know I I'm not I'm obviously not asking you to put your foot down here because like you said he's 22 and it's so hard to make a value judgment on a kid at this age. Do you think it's just a youth thing that's going to come with time, or did you, or do you think that maybe he doesn't have it? I guess what I'm trying to ask you is, did you see an improvement from him from this year to last? A little bit of an, of, an, of an improvement this year to last, absolutely. But it was not as big of a step as you would like to see, especially considering last year uh, he was basically the only goalie that Belleville had access to, right? Like Mike McKenna was gone. Um, Hogberg was injured or recalled for a little bit. They had this backup, Jake Patterson, who could not play at the AHL level. Nice. There, was this, there was this run where Belleville, I think Gustafson started like eight games, then they're like, okay, we'll give Patterson a start. And Patterson let in the – he didn't make a save. He let in two or three goals, and then they had to yank him and put Gustafson back in. So Gustafson was playing, like, every game. He was overworked. So you thought, okay, mm-hmm. let's, you know, attribute some of the wonky numbers to that. But then this season with, you know, a much stronger team in front of him, albeit, uh, you know, more uh, stronger on the offensive side than the defensive side. Um, but I'm also pretty conservative. I don't – I generally don't like to move – along from sort of these blue chip prospects, whether, you know, or someone who is sort of in the upper tier of prospects, I'd rather they stayed in the Sens org and then flamed out rather than Ottawa moves on from them. And then the person really succeeds elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, You know, but with, with the Seattle expansion coming up, right. You got to think that Ottawa's probably, they got a plan to at least lose one of their goalies and if that doesn't happen, well, it's it's better to have, you know, sort of a, a full hand and then you have the benefit of time to make the evaluation on which one you want to keep and get rid of. But, um, you know, I think next year, there's a couple of prospects that next year is sort of a, uh, you know, make your move or move on from season. And he's definitely one of them. What makes a successful season in your mind for him next year? Because if I'm not mistaken, he was goaltender of the month in January, right? Like he's shown flashes of some really good play. So what do you need to see from him next year to make you think that he's starting to put it together and that he has a future with the organization? It comes down to consistency is a big thing. Yeah. He had that amazing month, but he also had about a month of just, you know, in like shock, very inconsistent play, let's say. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's never seemed like he's really like this year, Decord comes up and he really owned the starters net. He looked like one of, he could be a premier goalie in the American hockey league. That's what you need to see from Philip Gustafson, if not next year, the year after that. Otherwise, I, it's hard to think he has any sort of real future in North America. Uh, it is, you know, I do have optimism that the goaling, goalie coaches that, like thinking back to when Marcus Hogberg came over, his first full year with Belleville split between Belleville and Brampton, he looked like a fish out of water. 
mm-hmm. uh, you know, but had that, you know, he had some size and some of that raw talent. And I think he's been coached into one of the more unexpected success stories uh, among sense prospects in recent years, right? This is the guy that was drafted seven years ago and is sort of finally on the verge of becoming an NHL regular, right? I think we all expect him to be a backup next year in the NHL. Mm. So the tools are there that, you know, it's worked on Hogberg. I'm at least somewhat hopeful that uh, if Gustafson can make it as a North American goalie, he's got access to the, the people that can help him accomplish that. I disagree with you on Hogberg being the consensus backup next year. That's one thing I do disagree with you on because the way he came up this year and the way he owned the crease from the time he was called up to Ottawa, which came as a shock to me. Uh, I don't know if it did for you, but I, I was certainly damn surprised by the way Marcus Hogberg came up and just put on a put on a great performance almost every game. Um, this is something that Ian Mendez and I talked about a couple weeks ago, right? Like how many games did they lose in overtime or shootout because Hogberg held them in it? Uh, so, and with, especially when you have Andres Nilsson missing such an extended period of time with a concussion, uh, I think right now, day one to start, you know, obviously you have to take training camp and everything like that into account, but I think my day one starter for next season is Marcus Hogberg. Um, I'll, I'll let you give a rebuttal to that if you think otherwise, but, uh, I also want to know if you were as surprised as everyone else when Hogberg was called up and played as well as he did. That's a, that is a totally fair point by you. I think uh, I wouldn't be super surprised if Hogberg, uh, you know, beat out Nielsen for that number one spot, assuming Nielsen's health gets back up to full strength, which I mean, we hope it will. It will. Um, I'm, I'm very comfortable with the tandem of those two going into next season, regardless of who ends up being the, the premier starter. But yeah, Hogberg's run in January was insane. Like he had, something like five or six straight games where his save percentage was off the charts. And I think mm-hmm. he only won one of those starts. Yeah. Uh, he was just losing by a goal, keeping them in there. The NHL was recently doing sort of top 10 saves of the year. And I think he had, I think he had two of them and he was on the number that crazy sequence in overtime against Detroit. It was the, yeah. the, the top save sequence of the year. So totally fair point by you. And um, yeah, not something I disagree with strongly. Yeah. Were you, when he got called up, were you, were you kind of surprised by how well he performed? Like, how did you expect him to do um, when he was called up in relief there? I think the only, really the only reason that Belleville had a sniff at the playoffs at the end of last season was because of him. So he took that step last season, kind of like we saw Decord take this season last year. The team wasn't super strong in Belleville. They were really riding on the strength of, you know, Drake Batherson and Logan Brown coming in as rookies and bringing some offense, you know, a few other upgrades around as well. But Hogberg's had a 917 save percentage, and they brought it all the way down to that last game of the season when they lost against Rochester, right? So it was sort of like he proved himself as that, okay, he can be premier AHL goalie. Uh, at that point, it's like you got to give him the shot at being an NHL regular and it's sink or swim, you know what he can do with the AHL and it's either you, you embark on an NHL career or you become one of those guys that can't quite cut it in the NHL, but you're great at that next level below, whether it's in North America or overseas. You, and, you know, you saw Decord come up this year, a 915 save percentage, very close to Hogberg's 917 of the year before, right? Maybe you'd like to see that over a bit larger of a sample size. 
Um, but yeah, that's, it's where, you know, Hogberg had developed to the point where it made sense for him to be given the opportunity based on the progression that he's shown. But, but that, that run, especially like January, he looked like the best goalie in the NHL Agreed. for a couple weeks. What, was it just a matter of him being healthy this year where he wasn't last year? Or did he noticeably improve some things in his game that allowed him to take that step this year? I, th- I think he's shown himself to be a very coachable goalie, which is great. He's got that raw skill set. He's large, which is mm-hmm. just helpful. Um, but uh, he's shown to be very um, coachable. Uh, differences, say, looking back to when it's cool, right? Uh, even like I did a highlight pack of him in his first season in North America, 2017-18, first full season. And I also included a part, I think it was like six minutes of saves. And goalie highlights are always weird, right? Because it's like, mm-hmm. well, the saves are generally just a compilation of them being out of position and making a ridiculous looking save. It's like, sweet. What are, yeah. you, supposed to, <laughs> yeah. what are you supposed to glean from that, right? Whereas when you watch a lot of the goals against, you tend to notice some, you know, tendencies and habits about how are they getting beat? What are they doing? What do they need to work on? And and for him, it was his positioning was off. His angles were off. He was, he needed to learn to move a little bit less, be, a, uh, be more confident in his size and trust himself to, you know, stand up there and, and um, like attack the shooter. And, and I think that is, that is the reason why you've seen him, take such strides from uh, that 2017-18 season to what we saw this year. It's interesting that you say that because one thing that really struck me about his game this year in Ottawa was his poise. There was nights where he was just getting shelled and you would think he was facing 20 shots by how he looked. One thing that's kind of trademark of younger goalies sometimes is they get rattled. I think that's one of the things that uh, rendered Robin Leonard's time in Ottawa so short near the beginning. And obviously he had his reasons for that. We know now, but he would get rattled, right? Like I think there was a game, I I think they might've been playing Buffalo or something like that, but he got lit up and he, you know, he smashed his stick off the crossbar and like, you could just tell that mentally he may not have been ready. Uh, But Hogberg looked so mature. Like he looked like a guy who had been starting in the NHL for years. Right. So that was one thing that I thought was really impressive in his game this year in keeping with Belleville uh this was obviously a fantastic season for them the season that we got anyway uh unfortunately cut short due to the COVID-19 stoppage we we don't know if it's gonna get up and running again we I talked to Spencer Blake a few weeks ago and another guy who covers Belleville and he was saying just financially he doesn't see how it would make sense for the AHL to run a playoff especially you know considering they may have to do it without fans. Do you see us getting any form of a Calder Cup playoff, or do you think this season's done? I, th- I think the American Hockey League season is done. It's a real shame that Belleville won't get to to have the the playoff run that they've been building towards and, and made some trades at the AHL deadline there to sort of stock up for. Um, a few guys had injuries that were looking to heal Logan Brown and, and Eric Brandstrom to get back in the lineup for that push. But it sounds like at this point, the AHL hasn't canceled just as a more of a formality, because if the NHL comes back, the NHL would need to draw upon some players from that league as well. Right. So yeah, that's, that's sort of the way I see it. I, I don't think you'll see another Belleville Senators game in the 2019, 20 season. That's a very good point. Knowing what we know and understanding that Belleville 
not only would have gotten healthy, but also would have got some reinforcements from Ottawa in time for the playoffs. Talking about guys like Rudy Balsers, talking about, uh, I believe Nor- uh, no, Norris had been sent down, I think, at the time of the stoppage. But anyway, Willan and Yarosh, guys like that. Do you think Belleville wins the Calder Cup this year? I think they win at least a playoff round or two, and they're absolutely, they were, they were top five in the league when, when things shut down, if memory serves. So yeah, even uh, though they, they were had, faltering, right? Like with the injuries and everything. Yep. I just think there was a lot of stuff that was sort of lining up for this made sense for this team was, was built to be able to go on to a run. So yeah, real, absolute real shame. And, um, you know, like I mentioned, I do enjoy the odd sports wager too. So there, there would have been a futures bet on Belleville to win <laughs> the cup for sure, for sure on my end. What do you think their main roadblock would have been to winning it? Do you think it would have been something to do with them, like internally, or do you think it would have been just the strength of the competition? I think it's their decor still wasn't that great. The there was a a bit of a you know hubbub on Twitter for a few days there when Ottawa signed Hubert Labrie to a to a deal, right? Which was <laughs> yeah. sort of like it's, it's a feel good story. Um, he's been playing sort of top pairing minutes all season. And, you know, like there's a reason why he'd never even had an NHL exhibition game until this season. He's going to be 29 this year, right? Mm -hmm. Like this is not an elite level defender. Whereas like you look back, look back at the decor of any Calder Cup champion generally is a mix of like those guys who are not quite good enough to make the NHL, but crush it one level below and you have these really hot up-and-coming prospects, plus just generally reliable guys. I think Belleville was skewed to being uh, an offense-first team, and even some of the guys on the back end kind of lean that way. And yeah, you know, it's like the guys that aren't affiliated with the Senators, I just didn't think very highly of in, in my viewing. So that was a, a pretty gaping, glaring gap, I guess you could say, in my opinion. Yeah, that totally makes sense. In my mind, though, Christian Willannon is an NHL defenseman. Christian Yarosh is, at worst, a borderline NHL defenseman, maybe a seventh guy, if not a fifth or a sixth. Knowing that you get Eric Brandstrom back after a round or two, I think was his projection. You don't think that those reinforcements kind of get that decor over the hump? Like, you think that the holes were still too big that it could have caused a serious problem for him? That's a good, that's a really good point, actually. Uh, I think Christian Yaros, I would love to just see him string together like a half season without missing time due to injury as well. Yeah. Right? That's you're starting to become pretty concerned that that's just something that some guys just can never stay healthy enough despite their skill and talent. And I like the way that you phrase, I'm not really as high on him as I think a lot of the consensus would be. Me um, either, yeah. Yeah. I think he's, yeah, he's okay. He could play in the NHL, but um, definitely not at the top of any of my charts, but yeah, I was thinking more like watching, Watching Belleville all season, like really on on a game to game basis, they had four defensemen who were not NHL prospects playing big minutes in Labrie, Corrado, Dowdy, and uh, Jordan Murray. Right, mm-hmm. some of them put up some good offensive numbers, but uh, I hadn't really thought of it in the sense that well, maybe some of them actually in in favor of those um, you know affiliated prospects, but. Um, you know, my my inkling was to think that at least three of them would be in the lineup every game, and that's just, I just don't think that's good enough. Yeah, that makes sense. 
I kind of saw it maybe playing out a little like Ottawa's 2017 run did, where the blue line was definitely a, a weak spot. That Phaneuf CC pairing still still gives me nightmares, but Craig Anderson was just playing out of his mind. And even when they did screw up and hang him out to dry, he was there to make the big saves. I think maybe sending Hogberg back down for the playoff run could have had that effect if you run with a Hogberg Decord tandem. But I totally understand your point. Uh, it, it does make sense. Um, Spencer mentioned that Milwaukee would have been a, a tough opponent to, to to beat for the Cup had they faced them. Um, and now with everything up in the air and the AHL season seeming like it's done, do you think that not getting this deep playoff run hurts the development of these kids at all? Or do you think it's something that's not going to matter in the long run? I think it would have been ideally, you know, they get that, that run. They seem to be a really close group. There just happens to be a lot of Swedish guys on that team uh, or the ones that aren't. They're they're all just friends. Right. But Mm -hmm. you have that. There isn't really as much as people like to to say there isn't really much of a correlation between at least winning a Calder Cup and and like you know NHL success down the road for the parent club I'm not but I'm not discounting I do think uh, a playoff run would have been valuable for those prospects right mm-hmm. every every single pro player says they are just floored at their first experience of of playoff hockey in the AHL or especially the NHL so that's that's really too bad but it's I don't think it's the end of the world and like ultimately I don't think uh, you know these guys are really gonna suffer long term I think this group of prospects when Ottawa gets back into the playoffs it'll probably be as a lower seed where they're not expected to go too far so they can learn playoff hockey at that point without the pressure of you know Stanley Cup expectations in my my mind doing what you do you have a unique opportunity to see some guys kind of come up through the minor league ranks, maybe even the junior ranks, and then transition into higher caliber NHL players. Of all the guys that you've watched develop, whether that's in the Canadian Hockey League or in Belleville or whatever, um, who's been your favorite? Like, who's been the story that you've found the most fun to follow from a guy who, you know, starts off in junior or wherever he does and then becomes a full-time NHL guy or maybe even a star player, depending on who you pick? Yeah, Drake Batherson is a name that comes to mind right away. He mm-hmm. was that I just remember. I remember the 2017 draft being like, "Oh, who is this guy? I hadn't heard of him." Uh, then it was immediately like, "Oh man, his dad used to play for the PEI Senators. That's kind of cool. Uh, let's throw together a few highlights." Usually, I'll try and do that. Right, if it's a guy gets drafted in the middle of the ra- middle rounds, there's not already you know one of those top 30 prospects. They all get plenty of YouTube packs created. So. I whipped something together quickly, put it on YouTube, and it immediately just got like way more engagement. And I quickly realized that, you know, the community that Batherson is a part of in Nova Scotia is incredibly proud and tight knit. <laughs> and if if one person catches on to one tweet about him, it's getting, you know, way more engagement than anything else. Um, so, you know, he gets so that happens. Then he comes to training camp. He's wearing number 66, which is kind of a boss move. Yeah. And he's he is. <laughs> Heads, you know, I had no, zero expectations for this kid, and he was the best player in the red versus white scrimmage. Uh, so I put together a little highlight pack from that game. I was like, hey, he really stood out at, at both ends of the ice. He was, you know, creating chances and, and causing turnovers. And then the QMJHL season starts in whatever, September, October of that year. And he went on something like an 18-game point streak to start the season and was wow. like, you know, and, and then parlayed that into... 
uh, his um, uh, starring role with Team Canada at the World Juniors that you know that year, right? So it was just like mm-hmm. an incredible whirlwind from who is this guy when he got drafted to? Oh my God, this guy is a an absolute steal, superstar in the making, sort of thing. So that's abs- and and he was someone, yeah, that I was, you know, I won't say that I was encouraged a little bit more to pay by all this engagement, but you know, <laughs> I do tend, I do tend to pay more attention to the guys or maybe give them a little more love. If I know that there's some guys that I could do the, the best highlight pack in the world about, and it's, you know, a lot of people just won't care because they don't know who this prospect is yet. Right. So yeah. Uh, yeah. He, he definitely fits the bill for that question. The marked improvement I've seen from him every year has just been bananas from the time he was drafted to going and having that killer world junior and, like you mentioned, the, the big season in the queue. Uh, and then he gets that first taste of Belleville action, does really well, gets some NHL games, looks good, but looks like, you know, kind of a kid getting his first shot that's not quite ready yet. And then he comes up in January of this year, and he just looks like a grown-ass man out there. Like, he, he looked night and day. Like, he looked like he grew up. You know what I mean? Like, he looked like he became... Uh, he went from being a boy to being a man at the NHL level. And I've just been so impressed. Every year he takes another step. And I really think he's going to spend, you know, I think he'll spend a full season in Ottawa next year. And I think he I think he has a big season. I, I could see him putting up 40 or 50 points for sure. Uh, who would you say has been the prospect in your time watching that's surprised you the most? The guy who maybe you didn't pay a lot of mind to, but then he comes and and has a really nice NHL career. Who's been that guy for you? Ooh, interesting. So right away when you're starting that question, my mind would go to Alex Formanton. Uh, mm-hmm. I think his season this year was arguably more surprising than what Shane Pinto did just because, you know, I paid, I had paid close attention to Formanton in, in the junior ranks and it was, you know, the, the story of speed to burn, but can't really finish and is going to struggle at that in the pro game. And then for him to come in and finish, only second to Josh Norris yeah. uh, in rookie goal scoring in the entire American League was just an absolute. Um, that was that was totally shocking. Um, but you know he's he's yet to really make an impact in in the NHL, and you know uh, I think he will. But if I if I could give an answer that's maybe a little bit closer to your question, the progression of Hogberg has been pretty impressive, right? Where yeah. I'd say for a couple of years, it was just like, is this guy even going to come to North America? Um, I think even it was even last summer that there were rumors that, you know, he's skating with his hometown team in Sweden. Like, is he going to actually, you know, come back or whatever? Um, but uh, if I were to touch on someone that we haven't talked about too much yet, I'd say Christian Willanen would go, um, would go in there, uh, you know, kind of fits the bill like right away after, um ottawa ottawa drafts him it's like okay well this is a kid who used to be a forward and then is like switched to defense like a year or two before he's drafted and then you know doesn't really get a ton of playing time at the university of north dakota in his first season and then they start playing him at forward uh in his first and his second season and that's always like a little bit of a uh uh-oh red flag Oh, and a you know a guy who's supposed to be a defenseman is playing forward. You saw it happen with Miles Gendron, uh, who was you know 2014 third rounder, great skater, but wasn't great at defense. And then he was playing forward for parts of two seasons in the NCAA. Then you see Will Lennon going down the same path. It's like oh man. And then his third year at, at North Dakota it was like oh my god, this guy is a different person. Like he was just one of those late bloomers. 
um, to the point where people were thinking that he wasn't even going to sign with Ottawa, like he would have his pick of of whatever NHL team he wanted to go to, right? But mm-hmm. uh, it was great to see him show loyalty, stay, stick with the organization, and uh, I, I think I think you're pretty high on him as well, right? I love Willan and Spencer, or not Spencer, Trevor Shackles and I were the co-captains of the uh, Willan and hype train. I love him. Uh, in his first real look with Ottawa that he got when Guy Boucher was still coaching the team, I actually wrote a piece for Silver 7 called The Curious Case of Christian Willanen. Because, what? yeah, because thanks. But, but uh, yeah, because he had he had played so well um, in the look that he got and then for some reason, he fell behind Ben Harper and Max Lajoie. And I took it upon myself to, you know, compare all their metrics, their stats, their advanced stats and everything. And by every metric, well, Landon was miles ahead of these guys. Mm-hmm. And you still had people going on, you know, going on the radio saying, uh, well, his defensive play needs to catch up. And I'm like, well, his defensive play is clearly measurably better than Ben Harper, than Max Lajoie and all these guys. So how do you use that as justification? And then Mark Crawford said, uh, what is he? He needs to play more like his father. And I'm like, what? does that mean that's those are just words man but but anyway i'm getting totally off topic here but i love willan i think he's an absolute stud and uh i really like that pick going back to what you said about formanton uh I, I, I gotta agree with you there. Like I loved him. Um, I I loved him in junior. I loved him when I saw him at the uh, at the World Juniors because he did get the one World Junior tournament and then he was supposed to have the big one last year before he blew his knee, right? Um, and yeah, I was really taken aback by the season he had this year. I thought he was gonna do well. I definitely think he's gonna be a middle six guy in the NHL, but. The, to go out and go on a tear like he did, uh, and you you mentioned him in the same conversation as Norris. Which one of those guys was more surprising to you? Was it Formanton, or were you a little more taken aback by Norris coming out of college and just lighting the AHL on fire? I th- I think Josh Norris's season would have been a little less surprising if he'd not gotten hurt at the World Juniors last year because he was ripping it up. Uh, with Michigan to start yeah. the, the, what was that? The 18, 19 season. But yeah. yeah, nothing is, nothing is coming close to Formanton. Like as you know, not to discount the season that Josh Norris has had, but Alex Formanton, 27 goals. I would have never in my life, you know, he was going to score more goals than he'd ever scored in the OHL. If the AHL season had, had finished this year. And that's just mind boggling. Yeah. yeah. Not bad for a guy that can't finish. Right. <laughs> yeah. Very true. Very true. Yeah, man, that's so cool. Um, following the prospects like you do, what's your favorite part of it? Is it watching the kids, you know, succeed in the minor leagues? Is it seeing guys um, transition and become full-time NHLers, maybe even stars? Or is it just kind of being where you are in that niche where people like me who write about the Senators and, you know, don't get to follow these guys as carefully – uh, is your favorite part being the guy that everyone comes to being that resource or do you take more enjoyment in like watching the games and watching these kids succeed? Yeah, I, I, that's a really interesting question. And I think there's a couple, couple different things to even, I could even touch on there. Um, like, uh, one I'd say generally speaking, and I'll, I'll push back on some people on this sometimes is like, if a player is drafted by the Ottawa senators and I'm following them, I would hope that for the most part, they are a standout in whatever lower level league they're playing in. Right. And at some mm-hmm. points it's like, great, this guy is crushing it. Well, he should be crushing it. Right. He's, he's one of a, a select few that should be elite in that league. So it sort of makes sense. 
then what I'm interested in is, you know, what type of player is he going to be as he, you know, graduates from that league and moves into pro? Does he project as someone who's going to be, you know, any guy who, who makes it to the NHL, led their team in scoring at some point in their life, right? And it's what type of role are they going to transition into? And it's it's almost like over time, right? You, you, you try, I mean, every player is different, but you can definitely see some patterns. Um, so a little bit is just trying to, you know, gain some confidence in uh, that sort of like projection. Um, and, you know, with the introduction of a lot more of uh, analytics and stuff, there's additional resources to help sort of inform that, that decision. But um, I also really like, yeah, I do like enjoy being the, um, a, a bit of a go-to resource. And I think you'll notice that hopefully in a lot of the content I post is that I tend, I try not to be um, too like influential in whether, you know, it's good or bad. It's more just like, this is the person, this is what he's doing. Use this as another data point to help make your own decisions or form your own opinions, or at least learn who the, who the heck this guy is before right. he comes into the organization. Right. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, We'll get to questions here in a sec because I, I don't want to keep you too long. I know you're busy. Um, one thing I want to ask you, the Senators, like we touched on this before, have this history of hitting these home runs with these late-round picks. Daniel Alfredson was a late-round pick. Mark Stone was a late-round pick. Eric Carlson was a first-round pick, but a lot of people think, you know, a lot of people thought at the time that maybe the Senators had reached there. In your mind, Taking everything into account, taking into account, um, you know, previous stats in junior or wherever, development through the American Hockey League, places like that. What's the most impressive draft pick in Ottawa Senators history? I think it's Mark Stone. Mark mm. Stone, especially because, again, that was sort of right around the time, 2010. Um, you know, I'd been on Twitter for a couple months at that point when he was taken. And uh, it was like, you know, he was coming off of uh, he'd only played just under 40 games that season. You know, the the potential was there, but it was like, ah, this guy there's kind of like, you know, the organization has a history of of taking a bit some flyers on guys. Jared Maidens is another one or even Nikita Filatov through a trade. But, um, you know, it was a chance taken. And then he came to camp and it was like, oh, my God, this guy cannot skate like it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you think he's got all this hockey sense and stuff in the world. He can't skate. And then he goes out the next season and puts up over 100 points in the in the Western Hockey League. And you're like, hmm, this is interesting. And then the next season, over uh, it was over 120 points in the Western Hockey League. And then he's playing for Team Canada at the World Juniors. Uh, he's scoring, you know, he's a goal per game in that. And you're like, oh, my. And, and then he gets called up in that Sens Rangers series, right? Yeah. NHL debut makes it his, 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 his yeah, first point in his first game. It was just like, oh, my God, the from like whatever. Not and it wasn't even it was not a reach. It was more just like a total gamble pick. And then first impression was like, oof, that seemed like a bit of a waste to now he's, you know, he's player number two two probably that i'd pick if if i'm creating my own franchise right ideal mm-hmm. players to have he's he's right up there maybe top three but yeah that was yeah. just a wild absolute wild sort of development arc to track i love that and you got to think like in terms of two-way forwards he's bergeron now 
right? I mean, maybe I don't think anyone will be Bergeron until Bergeron retires, but in my mind, he's the best two-way forward in the game. Like, he puts up all these points. His possession numbers are just off the charts. He does not make mistakes defensively, and if he does, he goes out and scores a goal the next shift. Like, I got to agree with you. I think in terms of uh, from development to the NHL, Mark Stone has to be the most impressive pick they've ever made. And I want to throw one more at you here before we get to uh, questions from the listeners. Gun to your head. Who, if there's one goaltender in the system that the Ottawa Senators are going to win the Stanley Cup with, who's it going to be? Who's going to be that starting goaltender that lifts the Stanley Cup for Ottawa? Joey Decord. Wow, that was quick. <laughs> I love the, I don't know if I love that expression, gun your head. I always use that with my friends just as a joke, right? Just give me something quick, right? That's what I want when I say that. So, um, yeah, I had a couple names floating around there, but uh, I'd say, the, yeah, the one other one that I was really sort of weighing there was Mad Sogard, but not he, Hogberg. Eh? Not Hogberg. No, I don't, I don't think, uh, I, I just think, uh, yeah, I, I'd go to Cord right now. I love his, Son of a goalie coach, right? That's sort of born into a bit of an advantage there. And and his, you have, I think it's good, right? We kind of touched on it earlier. Hogberg kind of seems like he barely has a pulse out there sometimes, which is good in a way. You, I think you want that from goalies at times. Like Carey Price is a, a shining example of that. Mm-hmm. But Decord is such a gamer, uh, hates to lose, loves to win. So uh, that's right now who, who I'd, and I was just so impressed with the, uh, with this, you know, even the way that he became like the best goalie in the NCAA basically in his last season and the way that he transitioned to pro gun to my head. That's what I'm saying today. Great answer. Uh, you're making me excited to see Decord. I'm excited to see him get his first taste of NHL action. Let's get to some questions from the listeners here. Uh, who's the biggest sleeper prospect? Um, it's interesting. I think the... Senate Ottawa's fan base as a whole has never been as aware of the team's prospect cupboard as they are today, right? Mm-hmm. Combination of just, you know, Ottawa has been a bit of a tire fire for a couple seasons and the, you know, what un, the run of unparalleled success means there's this, there is this really impressive pool of guys that are up and coming. So everyone's aware of a lot of those, you know, one a prospects. I think some of them maybe one B or even, you know, tier two prospects, someone like, like two names, like I think Vitaly Abramov or less so Jonathan Davidson. Those are two guys that would be much higher on on the radar of fans of a team if they were in a different system. Perfect. Uh, that actually ties into the next question. Thoughts on Logan Brown and Abramov making the team or are they moved on? from in the future um so i guess just asking like if those guys have a future with the team it sounds like you think abramov does but what about logan brown i'm a huge logan brown fan i think he should i pray that he either sinks or swims with the ottawa senators i do not want to trade him um and i believe that he he will be a very successful and impactful nhl player um i get the criticisms against him and why he he fails the eye test for a lot of people but I think what he has is so unique, the combination of skill and size that, you know, whatever, even if he ends up being um, a winger in the NHL and not, not a centerman, like he's kind of been groomed to be, that would still be such an, such an incredible asset to have that I'm just at end. If everyone who's so keen to move on from him, well, you know, then what is the return you're hoping for? What do you think you're going to get? That's going to be so much better than moving on from this guy that 
put up a historically great, you know, under 22 season in the American League this year. Yes, he gets hurt all the time, but uh, <laughs> I'm hoping he can <laughs> he can he can get past that. So all to say, I think yes, Logan Brown does make uh, the step to the NHL in in the near term. I think there's a bunch of guys in Belleville, right, that are sort of breaching that point of you don't need to be in the AHL anymore. Let's move up. To, mm-hmm. Let's graduate to the NHL. And it's when that happens. I think Abramov is not part of that group. I think he gets part of the group that gets. He's playing sort of like a tier two role in the AHL right now. He needs to then have another year, at least maybe two of getting that tier one time in the American league while also really working on his defensive game before making the jump to the NHL. And I kind of like that Ottawa has that almost like, um, you know, guys are at different points on the ladder in their development. What are the expectations for Johnny Tyconic next season at his new school? Omaha, I believe it is, right? That's it. Omaha, uh, yeah. you know, former home of Jake Gensel and, and a few other uh, NHL grads, but definitely not the hockey factory that the University of North Dakota is. Uh, he is in there. I When I, I earlier was talking about Gustafson saying that the, there are guys that need to have, you know, it's sort of the, the show it or show your way out next season. Uh, Gustafson's mm-hmm. one of them. Tyconic's the other one. I don't, I don't think there are too many other programs um, that he could have transferred to that will give him the opportunity that he's going to get next season. So I'm excited to see it. I've, I've always kind of liked what, uh, what he brought to the table, even when he was drafted, just checking out what he'd done in the BCHL before that. So I think it's sort of the best situation where they're just going to throw as much playing time and responsibility power play time Adam that's what he needs and then and then you're going to have a true um sort of you're going to have a, a true idea of what this guy could be and that's going to really help to uh inform what decision Ottawa makes with him going forward uh I guess both of these ones kind of tie into the same thing uh how heavily have you been following the 2020 draft prospects and uh who would you take if we get the fifth and sixth picks in the draft so I'm I am following the 2020 draft draft prospects more closely than normal, but generally I don't actually do a whole lot. Like I, I know who's going in the first round or two, but I'm not one of those guys that's sort of going layers deep into a lot of these guys. I wait until they, you know, I, it's kind of like the mantra of do one thing, do it really well, and that's the guys that are under the Sens umbrella. There are a lot of guys, you know, that I could be learning about who will end up not on the Sens. So. Um, in that sense, I'm, I'm not, you know, able to speak in as, as much detail about some of these guys. I hope, you know, part of the reason, part of the answer I want to give to this question is like, I just hope, I hope the situation doesn't happen. Right. So yeah, Ottawa, Ottawa, I want Ottawa to have earlier picks. Um, I, I won't get too specific. I'd say, I, I hope they just grab a, a couple of forwards. I, I, I'm not going to be upset with anyone really that they pick in that range though. I kind of. Jamie Drysdale is sort of the one outlier there where I'm like, eh, I I think, uh, you know, I kind of hope they don't take him, but I would be fine if they do. I'd 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 be more interested in some of the uh, in some of the forward prospects, someone like Holtz or Raymond, if they're slipping down to that range. How many roster spaces do you envision for the Sens this year? Who will make the team? So I guess asking. Uh, of all the Belleville guys or maybe Ottawa guys who are kind of on the bubble right now, who do you think is a lock to make the team next year? I think you don't have a whole lot left to prove at the AHL level for Chlapik, Batherson, and Balsers. Yeah. 
all those, you know, Balsters has basically been point of game for two seasons. Now, what's the point of keeping him in the American League? Batherson was the best player in the AHL last year, hands down. And then Chalapic has shown that he's a very capable bottom six player um, in the NHL with, you know, maybe some spot duty in the top six if needed, right? But there's mm-hmm. no reason for those guys to keep playing in the American League, I think. You know, Chalapic's probably at the bottom of that ladder if of anyone who might go down. But at that point, as well, maybe he's an asset that you use to to make something else happen. Um, and then you kind of have Logan Brown in the wings there. But uh, I think you're seeing at least three guys who were full-time Belleville Senators moving up to Ottawa next season. But let's uh, let's talk again. <laughs> A couple weeks before the NHL season starts, because I have you have no idea what what's going to happen at the draft and the trades and the cap, right? So a little early, but uh, that's those are some of my early thoughts. I got one more for you. You're the Ottawa Senators. You may have had the first overall pick, but for but for the purposes of this question, you've got number two. You're picking second. Are you taking Quinton Byfield or are you taking Tim Stutzel? I'm I'm taking Quinton Byfield. My man. <laughs> That's what I like to hear. Big Sudbury guy, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Big Sudbury guy. I'm firmly in the Byfield camp. I think Ottawa desperately needs a number one center, and I think that kid is Evgeny Malkin 2.0. That's the way I see him. He's got to learn to use his size a little bit. I'm talking to people back home who watch the Wolves consistently and people who I trust in terms of hockey knowledge. They say the one thing that he has to do is use his physicality a bit more, be a little bit more physical, throw that big 6'4 frame around. But uh, but once he does, he's really going to take a step, and he's definitely the guy to take number two overall. But like I said, man, I don't want to keep you too long. Thank you so much for doing this. This has been an absolute blast. I would love to have you on again anytime in the future. Tell the people one more time where they can find you at. Uh, that's at Sense Prospects on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, uh, and maybe even TikTok in the near, near future. But uh, <laughs> we'll see. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure, Brandon. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you again for coming on, man, guys. And thank you for listening to the podcast. As always, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Brandon Mackey six, find the podcast at internal budget, and you can find my writing at silver seven cents.com. Make sure you like the podcast rate it five stars. It's a little thing, but it goes a long way and I'd really appreciate it. Make sure you share with your friends and subscribe as always, folks, stay home, stay healthy and stay safe. We'll see you next week. Take care.